So you may have noticed that our logo looks a little bit different. The title is different. So like, what the hell is up with that? Don't worry. It's us, your same dorks in different packaging. We were ruminating about the mission of this podcast and making sure that it was abundantly clear to our current and our potential listeners. Our motivation for starting this pod was to become the sort of podcast primary care providers. But honestly, we just want to be your friends that you reach out to for trusted, approachable, digestible information about health and medicine. We want to be your doctor friends, like the same way you have your interior design friend or like your engineer fix-it friend or your tech whiz friend. I mean, that's how the world works, right? You know, it's who you know. Well, now you know us. Yeah, you know us. We are your doctor friends. <laughs> we want this pod to be listener-driven. We really want to answer your questions. What drove us to do this podcast was we were already answering these questions to our friends. We were getting calls and texts all the time with questions about their family and their friends. And we decided to make a podcast and we're rebranding because we want to be your doctor friends too. And what better way for us to introduce the new name and the new brand and what we're trying to do than to have our own friends and family pepper us with questions. These are the kind of queries we field every day with our loved ones. And we want to open up the floor to you, the beloved listener, to do the same. Of course, quick disclaimer, we don't know the answers to everything. I know that's really hard to believe. <laughs> but this will be abundantly clear as we delve into random ass questions from our inner circle. And trust me, these are going to be random. We don't even know what some of them are going to say. <laughs> be aware, the way to spot a crook or to spot a shyster is when somebody won't say the words, I don't know. Yeah. Or they give you answers without showing receipts. Or their answers are tied to a product. Yeah, totally. Buy some of this. <laughs> you'll be better. Trust yes. me. I'll be richer and you'll be better. <laughs> so what we want to do is help you hone your sniff test to find the garbage, get the real information, and we're going to have a whole lot of fun doing it together. So with that... Let's see if we can pass the test together. Welcome to Your Doctor Friends, the show that teaches you to sniff out the garbage and answers all the questions that you wish you could call or text your doctor friend. My name's Julie Bruni. And I'm Jeremy Allen, and we are two physicians who work at a nationally ranked practice and take care of some of the world's greatest athletes. We know that you have questions, and we want to help. We want to be your doctor friends. All right, Jeremy, are you ready to get started on these friends of your doctor friends questions? Let the rebrand begin. <laughs> Let it commence. First off, I wanted to preface this with a couple things. One, I literally sent out text messages like a few hours ago asking people to send a quick video message or an audio message of their questions and kind of gave them the context. And uh, <laughs> we, have, we got like dozens and dozens of responses. Like we have too many questions. We will not get to all of them. So first off, if you are one of the friends of the friends who asked the question, I didn't get to it. It doesn't mean I don't love you. And it wasn't a good question. It's just that you might have sent me eight and I had to pick one of them. Or there were some other ones that might like go with some of the jokes we're about to tell. So, But please do send in your waiver that we sent you either way, <laughs> yeah. just just to make sure. Just text so, me. Like, uh, I own every, uh, every right to everything you say all the time. Okay? Sounds great. So contextually, we really want people to be involved in this show. And yes. I think we said that in yes. the intro. We're your doctor friends. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to set the tone early that that's what we're going right. for. 
So we're going to do a rapid fire, ask us whatever the hell you want. And I actually don't know what's coming at me with some of it. And (laughs) Julie doesn't know what's coming at her. And so we're going to see where the hell this takes us. Most of mine are from my family and my friends. And then the one Jeremy's, uh, Jeremy's going to ask me from his family and his friends. So I'm super excited. I don't think your family's involved actually, Jeremy, are they? No, he says no. I don't know. Okay. No. Um, my family's way too big not to be involved and way too opinionated and filled with questions not to be involved. The one, one other thing that made me laugh was how many of these questions are like pee-pee-poo-poo things? <laughs> like, and I know like our friends are funny and they're like, they get that we're goofballs too, but I, I'm, I'm like also not surprised that if it was like, ask a doctor anything you want, it would be like... Uh, I got this pee pee poo poo question. <laughs> I need answered. Mm-hmm. Like we will be sending everybody a copy of everybody poops. <laughs> right? Signed, signed by Jeremy. I don't. I don't poop. I mean, come on, no, gross. Um, anyway, so in that <laughs> in that vein, here's here's my first question. So this is from our wonderful friend Laura Danger. Oh no, who has been on the pod? We adore her. That darn chat. Domestic labor is labor. She rules. Here's Laura's got a question for us. Okay. Hey, doctor friends. I'm wondering why I pee when I sneeze. Help. So what do you think, Jeremy? (laughs) Well, I do know that Laura laughs hard, so that may be part of the problem. But (laughs) in a completely serious way, you can have incontinence, Mm -hmm. right? And incontinence can happen for multiple different reasons. And in this case, if I'm not mistaken, Julie, you'll have to double check me on this, but I'm pretty sure that's stress incontinence. Yeah. Well, we had a whole so episode st- about this with with Lance yeah. Frank, Lance in your pants. Yes. Uh, so so we'll go back and listen to our pelvic to floor. I know. Part of this is us just plugging our own episodes, apparently. Yeah. But hey, I it's my podcast. I can do what I want. Now, in the light of Lance's advice, this may be one of the types of incontinence that actually Kegels may be recommended for. Or like modified good Kegels that he would teach you how yeah. to do correctly and not just like sure. clenching your anus the whole time. Sure. Which actually leads me to, let me do just one more because it's also from Laura. And those are the only two I have from Laura, but it actually w- works perfectly into what we're, we just said. So one more from Laura and then I'll, I'll pass on to you. Okay. Hey, Dr. Friends. I've been pretty stressed out lately, and sometimes I catch myself clenching my butt cheeks together. What is that all about? Thanks. That's the other type of pelvic floor dysfunction, (laughs) which is overactive pelvic floor, which Lance Frank talked about. Yeah, so I think now that you've identified that Laura was those two questions, we should probably just reach out to Laura and let her know she needs a pelvic floor physical therapist. I was like, listen to the Lance Frank episode, gal. Or I'll write you an order for pelvic floor PT. I do think it's very natural to uh, uh, tense up in areas. Yeah. Laura's is in her pelvic floor, but uh, I, I tense my jaw. I get really bad TMJ when I'm stressed. Oh, um, and fun. also like like up in the, everybody gets it kind of up in their shoulder, like computer yeah. stress neck and things like that. And there's yeah. there's really good resources on 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 things to, to do that. And I actually think we had talked to, I think we have a physical therapy episode coming up later in the year where we're going to do some stress neck uh, conversation. Um, I love that. So, I need that. So we're going to dive into that. Great question where we started with butt cheeks clenching and got up to stress <laughs> neck. All right. Lay one on me, Jer. Because that's what we do here. We answer questions and then translate butt into and neck. And if I don't know the answer to the questions, then we defer to an expert who can give us their expert opinion and show their receipts. Like we talked about, if I don't know, I can just say I don't know. And that's Okay. Jeremy knows everything. I don't. Okay. So (laughs) I'm going to play one that actually I think has a a real question. Okay, great. As a father of three, I always uh, struggle with, um, you know, having three young children and them being in 
you know, daycare and constantly getting sick and having fevers about when, when should a high fever be serious enough to bring your child into the doctor? And when is a high fever just totally normal and should be accepted and let it run its course? Thank you. This is a really good question. And it reminds me of when I was a resident and I was on call in the hospital and you would be um, carrying the pager for the clinic. So like when people would call into our family medicine clinic and ask questions, a lot of times it was my baby's sick. When do I need to bring them? Or my, my three-year-old is sick. When do I need to bring them into the ER? <laughs> and I would say selfishly was like, I was the one who had to admit the patient in through the ER. So I was probably trying to talk them out of coming to the ER, not because I didn't want to do work, but also because most of the time your kid doesn't need to come to the ER if they have a cold and a fever, you know, and the things that I would tell them, and you would sort of just ask more questions about the kids, like whole symptomatology, like, are they able to keep down fluids? Are they eating? Are they drinking? Like, are there, do they have moist mucous membranes? Like, are they still crying tears? Like, do they have like a wet mouth, that kind of stuff? So like hydration status was really important. But as far as I remember, Jeremy, and maybe again, I, maybe I'm wrong with this, but I didn't know if there was like a set number. Like I know in like sure. malignant hyperthermia or like heat stroke, we know the numbers around there where proteins start to denature. Yeah. But other than when you have like exogenous, like heat coming in, like if you're working out in a really hot or humid environment and you can't dissipate heat. I don't think that the same rules apply for like heat stroke than it would for like my kid's fever is too high. Yeah. Remind me if I'm wrong. We're going to attack this a few different ways. So first of all, what what is a fever, yeah. right? So like what defines a fever? And so 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit or more is a fever. And I'm sure most people have kind of heard that. But I feel like I hear the term low-grade fever thrown out mm -hmm. a lot. And then they'll be like, yeah, it was 99.7. It was a low-grade fever. And nah. you're like, no, it's not a fever. Yeah. And I understand the concept behind it. And I know that there's no malice in saying it or like trying to to whatever. But like when we are trying to decide whether somebody is actually has a fever and we should be looking into why they have a fever, 100.4 or above. Right. OK. And then in kids, um, I, I'm pretty sure that the a fever of concern, which is basically the concept of like, when should you start to worry about what temperature is, is a greater than 103.1. And what does that mean? A fever of concern does not mean that the child needs to go to the emergency room. What it means is that you should be trying to bring down that yeah. fever. And so you should be taking like Tylenol or ibuprofen or whatever the child is allowed to take. You should be using maybe like a cold bath or taking off like really like mm -hmm. don't forget that sometimes rooms can be hot in the especially in the wintertime with heat. Mm -hmm. And then you may be having them in the warm PJs plus like a blanket plus another blanket plus another blanket and like mm -hmm. so maybe take some of that stuff off. maybe they're shivering maybe yeah maybe their temperature is rising so to them it, it, it actually they have chills so like it's like oh put more stuff on them you know yeah so we, you want to make sure that obviously you're doing it in those in those settings and then really the biggest if you can't get the temperature down below 103 despite medications and all those you know tactics and the child looks well i do think it's probably worth a call to the pediatrician mm -hmm. if at that point I also think that what you said means a lot, Julie. You kind of said like the look test, like the well yeah, look test. Right. Does the child look well or not? And that can actually be a really, really good test. You know your child more than anybody. If your child just like doesn't look well and has a fever over 103, like I probably wouldn't just sit on that. Right. Again, I think it's okay to use the on-call doctor line at that yeah. point to kind of like figure out what to do next. But, but ultimately, I think that, that that's the cutoff there. And the last thing I want to say is the for those who had babies or remember being around babies, the babies are different before they get their first shots, mm -hmm. right? So remember before they're, isn't it before how old? 
I don't remember. Two months? Yeah. I think it's two yeah. months. It's probably when they get the first, two like... Two months when they get the first vaccines or whatever, so... Haemophilus influenza right. or something, yeah. So before they get their vaccines, those first couple of months, like, a, a newborn fever is really, really serious. Yeah. And so if, if that baby has a fever, and remember to take it rectally, mm -hmm. because it, it's not accurate otherwise, and if that's over 100.4, that's a call to your doctor 100 times out of 100, just because they don't have the immune defenses, and so you have to worry about other, other things. I think that there's probably a lot more that can be talked about in this, but I think that that gets to the heart of the question, hopefully. Yeah, and I just wanted to say one thing. Well, I have a fever, and the only prescription is, what, Jeremy? More cowbell. <laughs> uh, I did not pick up on that. <laughs> the Christopher Okay, I'm going to shut up. Let's go to our next one. <laughs> I get the reference post-death post, post death of the joke. Yes, yeah, thanks. What yeah. do you call that one? Post-humor, post post-whatever. Post, um, Posthumously? I get it. <laughs> Yes, I always thought I get that po it. posthumously. When I always saw it written out. I didn't hear it say. I thought it was posthumous, and I was like, "Oh, that's right." Yeah. And then, yes, I said it once, and somebody gave me side eye, and I was like, "Shut up, whatever." Um, yeah. So, all right, I've got. I a picked good up one. on your reference, but after you referenced okay, it, okay, I've got a good one. Actually, probably I'll do a couple in a row from the same person because I really like both of her questions. So this is from okay. Dr. Gina Sergio Lotus, who is wonderful. She's a, a DC functional medicine doc who I adore. And uh, this one made me laugh. And I think, actually, I would love to hear your input on it. Okay. Okay, Dr. Friend, one more. This is irrelevant to me, but I saw it in an article, and I have to know if it's true. Do beards really harbor all kinds of, like, parasites and fungus? I just want to know how grossed out to be when I'm talking to people. I mean, it's such a good question. No, It's like one of those, like, I don't know. Probably. I mean, it's a bunch of hair that, like, catches stuff underneath your mouth. But I guess it depends I, on, like, how often you scrub your beard. I don't know. <laughs> this is a great question. <laughs> good job, Dina. Good job. Who's, who's the expert in this? Do we have to, like, bring on a groomer? I, well, we have, like, a, <laughs> no, we have a dermatologist coming up who's going to be talking about yeah. all things. Well, mainly hair loss. But there, I have some other, like, dermatology-related questions that I think I'm going to bring up um, that I probably will just defer to, to our dermatologist who's going to be on. Um, so this might be a good question. Or maybe it would be a good question for an infectious disease doctor. Is your beard a I fomite? The answer is probably yes. I just feel like the answer is going to be how good is their personal hygiene? Sure, right. And and I don't need I to don't be know commenting the, on people's personal hygiene. That's your business. It's not my yeah, business. Yeah, we don't have the answer to that. But I will say that, great that question, beards though. can cause a lot of, like, follicular problems, like, in, in like, yeah. skin. So you can get, like, like folliculitis, like, infections. Yeah. And that shit's But that's, nasty. like, closer so to you, your face. It wouldn't be, like, living. It reminds me of the, of the family guy where Peter has, like, a family of birds living in his beard. Yeah. <laughs> So maybe if you have a family of birds living in your beard, you can clean out the bird shit from your beard. But otherwise, dunno. But that's a really great yeah. question from Gina. And the summary is I don't know the answer, and I'm really bad at growing a beard. So anecdotally, I can't even right. give you anything. Yeah, with the N of one, you don't even know. All right. And then this one I, I want to talk about, and I definitely want to talk about in the future. And we should have dedicated many episodes to this in the future. But I think Gina, again, has a really great question here. Hey, Dr. Friend, here's what I need to know. Before kids, I could focus and had a great memory. Now that I have four kids, I think I might have ADHD. What I want to know is, do I? Is it diagnosable? Is it permanent? Did they cause it? Will it go away? <laughs> That's really good. Isn't it? I, like, I can tell in there there's some... Can we have like 18 on neurodivergence, yeah. please? Because yeah. I feel like I, I recognize that there's there's some humor in there, but at the same time, like I also recognize that yes. like there's also some seriousness in that question. Like It's kind of like both. <laughs> And because right. and, yeah. and obviously we can't answer that question 
No, of course not. It takes like a like a five hour long neuropsych complete eval, and then that has to be interpreted for two weeks, and then you have you know what I mean. But like, I think of course, it's, but, it is an interesting yeah, question. Like, I I think that the mental health mm-hmm. aspects are really. We should definitely dive into that. We'll definitely try to get some episodes on ADHD. I think this one I do have anecdotal evidence on, and meaning my own personal experience. And I will tell you, um, I just feel like you have that image in your head of the person spinning plates, you know, like holding the sticks yeah. and then you have kids and it's like somebody added six more plates. So I'm not really sure it's ADHD right. as much <laughs> as it is. You're like trying to literally not have any of the plates crash at any given time. I also think that there's a lot of social media marketing that maybe nudges you in the direction of questioning whether or not you have some sort of neurodivergent problem of like, you're really introspective and worried about shit maybe you have this neurodivergence issue, you know, and then, I mean, myself included, which is sort of why I'm so interested in this, but I really would love to, I think, I think it'd be great to put on our list of uh, a mental health or, or neurologic health specialist to talk about sort of, we can even pick each individual sort of spectrum of that kind of stuff apart, but I think that would be really great. But yeah, um, if Gina, I don't know specifically if you have ADHD, but I know some people that it, can tell uh, you. It, 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 I do know that <laughs> Technically, I think to have there, I don't think there actually is adult onset ADHD. If I, it probably was just like not, yeah, it's yes. not if it was adult no, onset. I, it was I, just I, never diagnosed as your whole brain for your whole life was like this. So, like seriously, I think one of the criteria to actually be diagnosed with ADHD is it has to have childhood symptoms. And so, it's not to say you can't be diagnosed as an adult, but you can't have symptoms yeah. that only began as an adult. I'm pretty sure. Sure. I don't know if that's true. I'm not saying, not trying to call bullshit on you, but I really just, I, that's not my area of expertise, but that sounds right. But sometimes things that sound right are fucking not right at all. So, uh, yeah, like that's, what's great about really diving in and doing the research and then bringing on somebody whose entire job is that, which is what we love to do. You know, what would fix that is this supplement I've been selling actually to, (laughs) yeah, it's called Brainatrol and it's lovely. You just rub it on your brain, directly into I, your brain. It also reminds ADHD is another <laughs> one that is very much along the line of we did the low T episode. And it's kind of like you read the symptoms yeah. and you're like, I have all those. And you're like, you know, like I, you read the right. symptoms of low T and you're like, I have. Are you tired? Are your muscles going away? Are you getting more wrinkles? Can you not lift as much weight as you used to? Have you not been able yeah. to have a good erection in a while? You're like, yes. Good news. Yeah. It's because you're 75. <laughs> you're like. Right. Well, I also think that the way that Dr. Heeman had talked about it is these, that some of these companies are predatory because they're, they're, it's not just like, oh, you're just getting old. It's like, you're right. There are people that have these actual problems mm-hmm. and these, these diagnoses, these issues, you know, I don't want to, yeah, these whatever. And we're downplaying their need for treatment and need for help and need to be listened to because we're diluting it by this bullshit of, of trying to sell people things. It's ridiculous. And so like you're, you're disempowering the folks that actually have true diagnoses or are on some of a type of a diagnosis spectrum by trying to make it apply to everybody. And that's the stuff that is so frustrating and what we're trying to overcome by talking mm-hmm. like this. So, right. so, you, so you, well, one more thing. You read you read the symptoms of ADHD and yeah. you're like, I have all those. And you're like, okay, I want to get tested for it. And you go to like look on the internet and you're like, oh, ADHD. Okay, so what you need to do is you need to get rid of gluten, get rid of dairy. Yeah, get more sunlight, yeah. go outside. Um, make sure you're doing a... L- love yourself yeah. more. Make sure you love yourself because you're too dumb 
that to not remember to do that. So love yourself, so like just, dummy. Like again, it's a serious thing that like could have diagnoses and actually have good treatments for it. So totally. So yeah. Okay, what's next? You've been introducing your people. I didn't. The, the first video I played was uh, from a neighbor of mine, Derek Smith. Derek. This one I'm about to play is from a, a a good friend of mine from childhood who actually went to med school with me and is a urologist. Do you only have urology friends? Were you in like the I Heart Urology fan club at Rush and then didn't yeah, decided to be a sports yeah, medicine doctor? Yeah, does it kind of seem like I like maybe just didn't do well enough on my boards to look at penises all day maybe <laughs> <laughs> whoops he's you're calling them penis yeah. nerds so that's he, great here's right, ryan's lay question. It on me hey doctor friend i keep hearing about this perineal sunning thing should i be tanning my taint who is the celebrity that did that and then got a taint burn and then like made it was like john ham or somebody great like that <gasps> Or no, somebody not as cool as John Hamm, but somebody again. Like this is me talking out of my own taint right now. <laughs> God, I hope my mother never listens to this podcast. Oh my God. Anyway, talking out of my taint. Don't do that. Your your perineal skin is skin, and it 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 can get damaged and get sun damage related cancers and other problems just like the rest of your skin. In fact, probably worse so because it's not used to seeing the light of day for good reason. You don't need to get sun exposure. On your perineum. Like, <laughs> and the thing is, it's like, I feel like these stories come up because like TMZ or like the New York Post or some other crap rag decides that they're funny and interesting. And because they are. But it's also like the things that people talk about, like the new trend amongst teenagers is drinking bleach or something. And everybody's like, oh, no, we're all so scared about that. And it like never happened ever. Like, I don't even believe that anybody was actually sunning their taint. But I've also not like <laughs> read a, an article about it. I guess I did because I remember there was some celebrity that did it. But I feel like it's just like if we're talking about fake news. And I know like fake news now means the opposite uh, or whatever. I don't know. I don't want to get political, but like that's really fake news. I think that's legit fake news. That's like water cooler talk. Let's like let's start some rumors about fun stuff because it's squirrels on water skis, squirrels on water skis to uh, translate what my co-host is trying to say. <laughs> if you're planning to sun your taint, we recommend SPF 50. SPF 1000. <laughs> <laughs> and guess what SPF 1000 is? It's called pants. Wear your pants and leave your butthole out of the sun. The end. That's, and I put that on a sticker, Jeremy. <laughs> Welcome to your doctor friends. We will have sun your taint stickers ready no, for everybody. Yeah, you'll stick them right on your taint when you sun it. It'll be like when I used to go tanning, which I shouldn't have to even talk about when I, but like back in the early 2000s when it was cool or I thought it was cool. I don't know. I was in college and you would like stick a little sticker on yourself. It'd be like a, the one that we would do a lot of Playboy bunnies, which is like so gross that this is even coming out of my mouth. I'm mad about it. I want to shut up now. This is an interesting hole. Let's go down this no. one. No, ugh, so <laughs> gross. I have pictures of myself from college, and it's like I look like a old glove. It's awful. Those will be in the show notes for everybody. <laughs> yeah, now it's yeah SPF 1000 everywhere, baby. Um, all right, let's get a good one that's more from a more normal. Let's do my cousin Chrissy. Chrissy is just the best. Uh, here's like a real actual question so let's go back to like no normal things i don't i Not don't know if we can come back from that physician, so <laughs> let's go to someone let's go to chrissy who's a amazing mba from kellogg she's amazing all right hi doctor friends i have a question about bone density what's happening as women grow older and is vibration therapy a good way to supplement exercise to increase bone density 
You answer that one. It's a good question. So uh, I actually don't know much about vibration therapy. Do you? I don't either. And I, I wonder if Chrissy does. I mean... So the concept, right, th right? So like just thinking this through medically, bone is broken down and built up every single day mm -hmm. and it's normal and that you need to break down bone to build up bone to keep a strong bone, which is why you always hear the recommendations of like impact exercises. You get older, yep. like you can't just like be in a pool or like uh, when the astronauts go right and they're gone for yeah, a long and time and they lose jelly they, bones when they come back. Yeah, yeah, they lose they lose bone density. So the concept of vibration therapy is probably getting to the point where it's trying to basically break down bone to build up yeah. on safely. I wonder if it's something similar to like what Dr. Heeman talked about when she was talking about like shock waves to yeah. like lithotripsy that we use for kidney stones, but she was even talking about it in the use for erectile dysfunction. But like, yeah. And I wonder if that's how a bone stimulator works. Again, I don't know. And this is sort of my field, but I, I have like, I feel like I get marketed. Those are bone, magnets. Bone stimulators. Those are magnets. Yeah. But I mean, the, I think the idea is creating micro trauma to induce healing. Right. So my, I guess my answer would be to Chrissy. I don't know. It sounds a little gimmicky, but I also haven't seen any data about it, but I would love to look at it. And I think it's interesting. And I think we could have a whole episode about bone density, bone density and yeah, like or stress fractures and uh, red S, uh, relative energy deficiency in sport and stuff like all the things that we talk about in our grand rounds and in our lecture series that we could just make a bit more accessible to people. Like that's sort of the other thing we talked about with this stuff too. Like doctors get to have things called grand rounds. We get to have lectures a lot. Like anybody who's even slightly affiliated with an academic facility, like we're affiliated, like, yeah, we get to learn from other people. And I just get to like passively learn from great experts that give me beautiful PowerPoint presentations about all the stuff that is, it becomes like very digestible for me. And like, if you're not in medicine, you don't get access to that. Or if you do, you have to really go looking for it. And then you don't know who is giving it to you. And, and like we, I think I brought it up to you before, Jeremy, every single physician or, or expert it doesn't have to be a physician, but every single expert that ever has given me a lecture in like a medical setting through medical school and through everything always had their first slide was a disclosure slide. It says, here are the things that you should know that I have affiliations with, or I get some sort of financial thing from like, maybe I, maybe I am affiliated with this startup that does this type of biotech thing, or I am a consultant for this implant company or something. Like you have to tell everybody that you have to. And if you don't like, we'll find out and then you'll like get in trouble kind of, you know? So like we get that baked into our teaching and like people that don't get that opportunity don't get that. It's just hidden in it. Or if it's hidden in the fine print and you got to look, 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 look for it. Like that is slide number one when it comes to medical information receiving on the healthcare provider's end. So that's what we wanted to be here. Like let's do grand rounds for everyone and just make it fun and interesting and stuff that matters to them and give our relevant disclosures every single time. And it's not that hard. You can just do it. And then guess what you have? You have credibility because <laughs> people can know that you're not full of shit and you're not selling them anything. Like, I'm just so sick of feeling like I have to worry about the wool being pulled over my eyes. And I feel like I'm one of the most health literate people, you know, because that's my job. And it just, it, it's probably so disempowering for everyone to not have the same privileges afforded to them. So quick disclosure, we will be selling taint stuff. Oh my God. Did we just re like roll reversal? No, <laughs> you're, you're the goofball. <laughs> you're, 
I just wanted to rant so, there. I know, I this, know. This question, what this question reminds me of is almost everything in medicine that I feel like sometimes the complexity bias. Yeah. It's like a, it's a simple question that you're trying to find a complex answer to. Right. And the concept is, is osteoporosis is a very well-known condition. Bone density is something that has a lot of research behind it. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of good and known treatments for them. And some of them have side effects and some of them don't, but we have like a lot of data on that. And so my advice to you would be first is, establishing a diagnosis or establishing what your bone density is, figuring out what your vitamin D levels are, figuring out what your actual parathyroid hormone stuff and all the stuff that like goes yeah, like into if this. you're not spilling calcium out of your body somehow. Yeah, exactly. Right. Basically getting a workup by people who specialize in this and then getting the appropriate treatment for what the problem is. And then basically if you get to the point where you're still having issues or you're trying to prevent and it's not bad enough yet, but you want to do prevention, then start looking into these other things where you can kind of like right. trim on the edges. But these should not be primary treatments until they're at least proven to be primary treatments. And I think the other thing is, Right, 100%. And and there is a general mistrust for a lot of like, well, it's all the pharmaceutical companies that are in charge of all this stuff. And to a certain degree, the answer is like, yeah, because that's where a lot of the money comes from. That's why it's like, it's. I think it's sad that there is a paucity of accepted data about like holistic medicine and nutraceuticals and things like I'm sad about that because I want to be able to utilize those things. And like Dr. Heeman talked about in our la- one of our last episodes, like, yeah, there probably are herbal and supplemental things that like, for example, like boost someone's testosterone, but we'll never be- feel comfortable recommending them to patients because we don't have the peer-reviewed data that we are comfortable with. Now, I'm sure there's probably a lot of other like functional medicine doctors and other you know types of people that are like, well, your data gathering is not gospel either. You know, like it is also fraught with its own biases. And my answer is, yeah, you're probably also right about that as well. But I think we're trying the best we can, or at least you and I are, Jeremy. I mean, I'm not going to speak for pharmaceutical companies because they don't need nobody to speak for them. But in the end, like we are really trying to apply the scientific method to everything. Is it relevant? Is it reproducible? Is the data valid? Can it be shown to work the same way across different populations of people like blah, 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 blah. Like I'm terrible at research. Jeremy's way better at it than I am. But like research is research. You know, you have to comb through enough of it to feel comfortable with it. And even I don't feel like I'm at that level. And so I just, I understand why some people might be sort of even skeptical of, of the data and the research that we have. I guess what I lean on sometimes is that there are people And there are, you know, there are experts who that is their entire job and they've done tons and tons and tons more schooling and has have years of experience and understand how to extrapolate it. You know, PhDs and all these people like that's what that's all they do. And I've got to sometimes just like lay a little bit of trust in them to show me how to interpret their results and to make me feel comfortable with it as well. And and again, it's like just like anything else when you're you have an expert and you can see how they came to a conclusion and they give you their disclosures and then you decide for yourself, you know? We said that we were going to help people through this podcast with detecting bullshit, right? Right. And so we've done a few episodes already that have had some of these things in it, like stem cells was the first one, mm-hmm. right? And even in the weight management with all the diets and things yeah. like that. And you mentioned the, t- the testosterone stuff. And ultimately, 
there's a single theme that comes through here. And the theme in this a lot of times is that the clinical use far outpaces the science. Mm -hmm. And so basically it starts getting used well before we have all the data to know whether it even is effective or what the side effects are. And sometimes it's not regulated by FDA. And so then you can use it anywhere. And the one thing that drives all of it is you can make money. Yeah. All of those things like basically are not covered by insurance or they're expensive. Right. And the people find that they can go and do it. So I feel very strongly that one of the ways that you can kind of detect a lot of this stuff is basically think to yourself or ask the question, like, what's the motivation right. for why this person wants to do this treatment for me? Yeah. Right. Like, do they make more money off of it? Okay, fine. It's okay to have the person make more money of it. But like, why do they want to make more money off of it? What is the motivation? And I think you can really, I think you can weed out a lot of those things yeah. that way. I think so, what's not fair is that I think a lot of us feel pretty good about our sniff test when we're talking one-on-one -on -one to another human being face-to-face. -face. And how often does that even happen anymore? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I can spot a sociopath. <laughs> like, you know, like, maybe I can't. Maybe I think I can and I can't. And I've been, you know, I've met a whole bunch of Ted Bundys in my life. But I think it's got to be really difficult when you're getting information from not just two human beings looking each other in the eyeballs and saying words. Like, you're getting them through really polished advertisements or you're getting them through a spokesperson or you're getting them through a celebrity who you like and trust for other reasons or someone who who you like for their expertise in something else and you already, they have like cred with you. And then they say, Hey, by the way, like, I think this thing is great. And you're like, all right, well, I like them about the other thing. So I'll, I'll believe you, you know, like it comes in such different packaging than just a like, Hey, Jeremy, I want to sell you this tonic. That's going to make your, you know, your taint skin grow back, you know, but like, yeah, like I feel like we, a lot of us feel okay with like knowing like, no, thanks, buddy. I'm cool. You know, like you can only like sales yourself out of, like sales pitch yourself out of so much. But when you have, you know, people who, the other side is like people who entire job is, is to market something. And it's not like they're bad people. It's their job. Like, okay, whatever. But it's, yeah, it gets real muddy down there. All right, let's get to a few more. Yeah, I'm bumming myself out, dude. <laughs> Give me some more. We're done with the soapbox. Yeah, I'm done. This is another friend, neighbor, Colleen. What online resources can I actually trust for accurate medical information? That's a good one. Oh, that's a good tie-in. Did you know that that's one you were about to pick? You didn't? I don't believe you. I mean, I, I had listened to it at some point, but I actually didn't remember. Question everything, Jeremy. Yeah. Questioning you. Yeah. I mean, what do you turn? I turned to the AAFP. American Association of Family Physicians for yeah. medical stuff. I think it's really user-friendly. Like when my sisters will ask a question about like, hey, my kid's ear is being weird and goop is coming out of it. And I'll like, I'll look it up myself because sometimes I don't know the, the best updated guidelines. So I'll usually do it and then I'll I'll send them the link to the article because it's, I mean, like my sisters are really bright and it's not that hard to read and it's not like, even my sisters can understand it. But yeah, like I think they even have information that's like more targeted for folks for like non-actual physicians. But even I like it. I love the AFP. There's a million other resources. But if you're like trying to look up something yeah. um, for yourself or like trying to come down to not diagnosing yourself, but like if you're concerned about a certain set of symptoms or a problem that you have, I love the AFP. Yeah. So I think to build off that, 
each specialty has an organization. Yeah. And each specialty's organization website generally has patient-driven information that is put out by the organization that follows their guidelines. So some of the famous ones, ACOG is really famous, right? The Mm -hmm. one that's for uh, obstetrics and gynecology. We work in kind of the ortho field, right? So like Ortho Info, which is AAOS's website, has a lot of great Mm -hmm. stuff for patients, and Mm -hmm. we use that all the time. So just, just some other references. But ultimately, if you have an issue and you're and you're trying to look it up or you were given a diagnosis and you're not sure what it is and you want to look up the info, I would start with maybe the organization that has that specialty and you can get a lot of good information That's a great answer. Um, from there. And, and it's definitely peer reviewed. And then I, the second thing to build off what I just said is I use the word peer reviewed. Mm-hmm. If something's not peer reviewed and it can be hard to find like this, it doesn't say it at the top, like here's the title article and then the next biggest thing below it is peer reviewed, but it should be labeled on there somewhere that it's peer reviewed. And if you're not sure, like uh, we, we're going to have an email inbox. It is your doctor friends podcast at gmail.com. Send us the article. Yay. We'll take it. We'll take a look at it and tell oh, you. Yeah, we'll sniff it that out. We'll, yeah. s- we'll see if it passes the sniff test. But if, we'll it's, sniff it up. if it's peer reviewed and what that means is that somebody wrote something and then they had people in the industry or not industry, but in the field review it who are specialists or experts, kind of like what we do on here. Yeah. And, and it passed that test and it got on. So those are the two things I'd say. That's a great, great answer. I have a really good one from my sister, yes. Kate, Yes, that actually kind of melds together some of the things you just talked, some of the, the academies that you just talked about. All right. So here's from Kate, my sister, Kate Barnhart. She's actually a nurse herself. Hey, doctor friends. How do you feel about stitches versus glue? Can I just glue my kids if they have a laceration that I can approximate? Is super glue really sterile? Would you do it? This is such a good question because I've done it. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, I know you're going to have an opinion about this. This is such a good question because like anybody who's listening who knows me. So so let's answer the question, then I'll go into my anecdote. Sure. So glue is actually, we'll get into the glue versus like dermabond thing in a second. Mm-hmm. But like glue is actually really effective. Mm-hmm. It's really effective. And the, the biggest thing that determines whether you can use glue or not is really the depth of the wound. Yeah. And so what I mean by that is, is if something is deep and you're seeing into like fat, like you see some yellow stuff that yeah. like you're not supposed to be seeing, like that can't be glued. Don't glue that. If, it's going like, to be like, weird and get infected and be gross yeah. and not heal. Yeah. If you see muscles, tendons, mm-hmm. if you see like anything besides skin deep into the skin, yeah. it shouldn't be glued. Or if it keeps the second bleeding, thing is, like if you try to glue it and it just keeps oozing and oozing, no glue. And then the other thing is I probably wouldn't glue face. Yeah. Like it's, I think you can to a certain extent depending on where, but like I'm talking about like in the pressure, like the the precious areas, right? Like the the eyes, the mouth, like like I probably wouldn't put a lot of glue in those areas. Do you glue those areas? Like I, I don't know. I mean, I haven't done it myself, but like yeah. So yeah, I just I mean, I, it, well, I, areas I, well, if you, in the face. There's so much movement. There's probably a lot of tension across it too, because like yeah. you know, every time you move your skin when you talk or raise your eyebrows, it may pull that apart, and a and a stitch might be a better option. And like, but it's hard to know. Like cosmetically, it depends on who's putting the stitches in your face. If you do them the right way, you may just have a little line and not like a line and then big dots on each side of it. You know. Yeah. So the biggest thing when you're putting glue on a wound is that you're closing it. Yeah. Right. So you need to make sure that it's clean Mm -hmm. and it needs to like make sure that because otherwise an infection can happen. Right. And so you probably want to get to it sooner rather than later, with the exception of like some animal bite wounds. Yeah. Those can actually stay open because they actually can cause other problems. And I'm not going to quote all that, but you can we can look that up or talk about yeah, it. Yeah, animal time. bites. Just go to the ER or call your doctor. Yeah. They need antibiotics a lot of times and stuff. Like just if it's like a scratch because I scratched something funky or I fell and my skin split open. So I'm a big fan of the super glue method, but I, <laughs> I, I definitely think that there's got to be some disclosure here that I'm giving my personal opinion and that, that like nobody's allowed to 
to tell me that I gave them personal advice here. This sure, is for entertainment purposes only. Yes. But I do think that if you have a wound that can be put back together and you put some super glue on it, even if it's I have used Gorilla Glue before. Yeah. And it is technically sterile enough because in reality, it doesn't need to be sterile. It's your skin. Um, your skin's not sterile. Your skin's covered yeah, in bacteria. That's like the point of it. So it's more important that you clean out the wound sure. and then put that on. The problem with using super glue, because it's the same kind of base material, Dermabond and super glue mm -hmm. are kind of like the same kind of material, is that the removal process is worse. And it's like, probably more like, of an irritant to your skin because it's not supposed to go on skin. So like Dermabond yes, is yes. supposed to go on skin. So it, yes, it pro yes. there's probably more irritants in the actual like chemicals yes. that bond things together. So I probably would say... General recommendation: Don't do don't it, do Gorilla it. Glue, because sure. like it's not it's it's not supposed to be done. It's not supposed and to be I going on you... your skin, but like yes. but things yes. like like Kate, if you were asking if you ha like literally have Dermabond at home, which you might because you're a nurse, <laughs> like yes, yeah. I mean, I think you can if you're using like an epoxy or a, um, you know, I don't know if that's the right word, but yeah, like a a binding agent that is meant to be on the skin versus having to actually get sutures. I think in in superficial cases where you can approximate the wound well and it's not deep and it's not oozing blood, like. I don't see a problem with that. Yeah. So, and then I'll give my anecdotes. So my daughter, Olive, has has split her head open twice. Oh, BB. And both times the wound, I think, was probably about a centimeter. One was in towards like the back of her head and one was towards like the front of her head. And you can do a really an awesome technique, which actually works better than, so in the head, first of all, your scalp is incredibly vascular. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't tend to get infected very much because it has really good blood flow. Mm -hmm. And so they usually staple it um, if you go to the emergency room and not suture it because it's hard to suture in the hair. Yeah. But you can do this technique called hair espionage, which just sounds so it does. fucking cool, it doesn't really cool. it? <laughs> <laughs> it's really intuitive if you think about it. You basically take hair on both sides and it's hard if you have short hair, mm -hmm. right? So like if Logan did this right now with his like buzz cut, it'd be hard. But but you take the hair on either side and you kind of spin it together in your hand so that you have like a bunch of hairs kind of into one little rope. Yeah. And you literally cross them you, like, across. them together. Yeah, across it. So that brings the wound together. Mm -hmm. And then you wrap it once around each other and bring it back across to lock it. So you basically like bring it across and then bring it around each other and bring it back across. Cool. And then you put a dab of super glue right on that. Yeah, so not on the skin, but on the hair. Bridging it together. And it, yeah. And bridges together. And I'd done it twice for her both times. And I do think the cosmetic outcome was really good. Yeah. I didn't have to go to an emergency room. I mean, I'm the benefit of I'm a physician at home, so I felt comfortable sure. doing it. Right. Uh, the first time I did use Gorilla Glue, which sucked because coming out of the hair was very difficult, like seven, eight, ten. Yeah. Um, we didn't have anything else. I did use Dermabond the second time. It was better. I still used too much but maybe we'll do a video at some point bonus content of how to do hair espionage i love that um, i think that's a great idea could be could be fun like, again yeah like home first aid tips like things yeah. that you could actually do that it's probably okay and you don't have because dude going to the urgent care and going to the er sucks it sucks it does it's really i mean even not that the care there is bad. It's just that like, it's not actually urgent sometimes. Sometimes you get there and you sit around for six hours or 12 hours or something for something that you really could have probably taken care of at home and then monitored and then maybe seen your doctor in a day, if that's possible. You know what I mean? Like, so a lot of times you may not need these things and they're expensive and it's time consuming. And a lot of people leave dissatisfied because they're like, Ugh, they just gave me like some NSAIDs and told me it was fine. You know, and it's like, that's not their fault. It's just, you probably didn't need to go in, you know? Yeah. And I think this is also another really good drop of like the don't sue us uh, disclosure. Yeah. But like we're not telling anybody if you have something like to just go do this and forget no, about no, it no, and no, not no, go no. to the emergency room or not go to the urgent care or not talk to a doctor because like that's irresponsible. Sure. 
but I do think that in the nature of us being your doctor friends, I think the question was asking, is this legit? And I think it is legit. Yeah. And I think if you were not going to take those emails to be like, should we stitch this up and use super glue? Because that means we're on call for you. But I do think that if you had like a, a, phys, a legitimate physician friend or anybody right. who's done this before or a nurse or whatever, you could probably pull this off. Yes. Love it. Love it. All right. Should I pull one up? Yeah. I, I mean, I have a million great ones. I was going to do an Allison Terry. All right, go ahead. I don't even know. They're all so good. So this is, I'm just going to randomly pick an Allison Terry one because Allison Terry is one of my favorite people in the world. She's a orthopedic surgery physician assistant who I absolutely adore forever and ever. Amen. This is a good one. It'll bring us back to like pee pee poo poo talk. Hi, doctor friend. Why is it that I have to poop every time I get nervous or anxious? Her other ones were about like, what's worse, a, a broken bone or a fractured bone? <laughs> but I think it's a real question. It's like, how come I get like IBS, like rumbly tumbly when I'm nervous? Well, that's the thing. I think you you just hit the nail on the head there, right? Irritable bowel syndrome actually can have both things. So there's people mm -hmm. who get anxious and nervous and they go the complete opposite way. They, they get completely blocked up. Yeah, that's true. They get constipated. So, you know, the concept of irritable bowel is not completely well understood. Sure. I, I think if somebody said, every time I get stressed or anxious, I can't control my bowels, I'd want to make sure that they didn't have like a neurological right, problem or like first. have like so may, pancreatic insufficiency or something. Yeah, so just make sure, make, I, would, I would get that, I, I would get that looked sure. at, but assuming the diagnosis is irritable bowel syndrome, I think a lot of times we don't completely understand that and sort of looking at the mental health aspects or the, you know, working on the anxiety and coping mechanisms and sometimes even like, you know, anxiety type medication is reasonable in these situations. There's certain supplements here like, um, like fiber supplementation has been shown to be effective. Mm -hmm. There's what else am I missing here that you can get? Oh, like uh, I think there may be some like Bentil is very, like, a, like, well, that's not an over the counter, but one that's like an antispasmodic, you know, for people with bowel yeah, issues. So you can get a prescription, you can yeah. get a prescription for that. There, there's very weak and contradictory, but some positive data on probiotics helping with irritable bowel syndrome. So yeah. again, like that's a dark world that we probably are a deep, a deep world. Of course, but I would love to have like a gastroenterologist come on and talk yeah, about that. Probiotics. I think that would be so rad. Even I wonder if like if we have Rose on, Rose Mativier, our wonderful therapist who does EMDR, I wonder how much like doing EMDR type therapy to have people work, work through like trauma and anxiety, like uh, harnessing into your autonomic nervous system. Because that's really what I think of when Allison was asking that question is like, hey, when I get like anxious and keyed up or I'm worried about something like I feel like I've got to poop. And it's probably, yeah, it's because you're fight or flight and your rest and digest are fighting each other to a degree. And they're like, let's evacuate the bowels so that we can <laughs> go fight and run away if we need to. You know, that's my monkey brain thoughts. Yeah. So if, if, if Rose does do that in her sessions, they probably have to like have a kid potty nearby or something like that. Yeah. Right? And that sounds case. rad, man. Okay. Give me one. Let's each do one more. Oh my God. Oh, I have so many. We're going to have to do a second episode of these because it's so fun. We'll do another one. Again, the hope is, is that it's not just our actual friends. No, please. <laughs> we want these from you guys. For everybody. We are your actual doctor friends. Send us your pic Send us your movies. Send us your questions. Call the doc line. Just give it to us. I, we can do this I forever. I look up the doc line again. Hold on. All right. This is my friend uh, Jason asking, I think, a simple yes, no question, but I think it's a good one. Okay. Hey, doctor friend. Lately after workouts, I like to take a cold shower. Are there any real health benefits to that, or is it just a nice way to cool myself off after a hard workout? 
I think that's good. I mean, there's there's probably so much money being put into like cryotherapy and like stuff. Uh-huh. But yeah, I don't. I honestly. That's don't, where I was hoping you were going know, with this. I like I kind of wanted know. you to go there. I don't know. I mean, it makes sense. Like first off, like yes, if you have just worked out and you're kind of overheated and it's hot outside, like it's good. Yeah, like help your body cool down. It makes you feel better. It probably releases again. It probably like does something to your autonomic nervous system to kind of like chill you out literally, but like kind of bring you back down to like a, you know, get all your neurotransmitters emitters in a row after you've done a really strenuous workout. Like, yeah, great. Sounds good. But as far as like going to extremes about like plunging into a cold tub or doing like a cryo, like a cryo chamber, which I've been in one before. It was really, <laughs> that's going to sound, it was really cool, <laughs> but I mean, it was an awesome experience, but it was also Good like, pun, Julie. I don't know. Good yeah, pun. Like, I don't know if it's doing anything for me, but again, I haven't looked at the data of it. It's again, one of those things that to me, like on first pass, the sniff test is my, my nose is going like, I don't know about that one. Yeah. I don't know, man. It seems a little gimmicky to me, but it also seems what's the harm I'm sure you could find harms if you were doing it incorrectly and hurt yourself with, you know, like harming your extremities and getting frostbite and making sure, you know, that kind of stuff. But if he's literally talking about a cold shower, cool, sounds great. Enjoy yourself. Do what the serial killers do. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know why I love this question, Julie, is like this really hits on a field that you and I spend a lot of time in. So Julie and I both take care of professional athletes Mm -hmm. and almost every one of these things starts with professional athletes and ends up in the amateur athlete. And it's like, yeah, because the professional athlete has so much access to resources and they get all this stuff more or less for free. Yeah. Because again, marketing it as a professional athlete is so big for these companies, right? If, if so-and-so athlete uses cryotherapy, well then we should all be using cryotherapy and then that company takes off. Right. And so the question then is, is like doing anything. And of course, like when the, the NBA athlete goes and gets cryotherapy and says, I feel like a million bucks, like there was no risk for them right. to a certain extent. Right. They're right? being like, monitored they... by a, a whole team of athletic trainers and but they also didn't pay doctors. for it, right? Yeah, exactly. And no one's so going to let didn't them pay a get subscription. hurt, right? And they're doing different type of exercise than you are. I'm sorry. Who is this from? Your friend? What's his name? Jason. I mean, I don't know anything about how Jason works out, but my presumption would be that it probably isn't to the degree of like the guys in the NBA and Major League Baseball. Although I don't know, but like and but the, the point sh- is, is like know, we don't really know if it. We're, we're not sure if it's effective, but it sells well because it looks good yeah right? and it's like a nice but little it's... passive recovery thing that probably feels nice and the risk of harm is relatively low it's like the compression boots those compression boots that and fill up with the uh, air yeah. and, and and have cold go through it they look so good on social media everybody wants them and you see all your athletes using them right it's like do they help or not and you're like we're not really sure but it does feel good when you do it the one thing i will say is there is clear evidence that an ice bath mm-hmm. so like getting into an ice bath like it's an ice bath right speeds up recovery yeah cryotherapy has not been studied like that yeah but i think you're trying to like like cold tub immersion a, yes and that's why those cold, things have yes. been going around i mean like have been linked with sport for as long as there has been sport and again like just because i don't have the data right in front of me doesn't mean i'm gonna poo poo it and just say like no that's grip like no like i think that making that same connection again like just because it seems to make good sense doesn't make you know um it's like kind of like correlation doesn't doesn't prove causation same thing like just because two things are next to each other doesn't mean they have anything to do with each other yeah um but really it's just like just because it sounds feasible does not mean that it is helpful or valid at all and um you know you gotta like maybe a half step ahead and then sometimes even just taking a half step and looking into 
you know, what's the next chain of command of where this came from? And then you look at that like, oh, it's trash. Okay, got it. You know, like. <laughs> so don't pay hundreds of dollars a month for cryotherapy. Fill up your bathtub, put some yes. ice in it and just sit just there. Just sit there for a minute. It's fine. It feels terrible, but you're getting the better effect. I love it. I love All right. it. Last one. <gasps> like actual last one, last one? Yes. All right. Well, last, then this last, is the last, last one, one that I want to end on then. Yeah, we're going to end on it. Okay. So this is my oldest sister, Becky. I'm missing one sister. That's You're going to get me in a fight with my sisters, just so you know. That I'm, ma- I'm missing bon- Maggie. Can- What's up? I don't want you to get in a fight with your sisters. Well, Maggie just has one about like how much caffeine is too. But this is just cute. Let me just play it because it's cute. How much caffeine is too much caffeine? Bottoms up. She even had a visual of her drinking coffee cup. Uh, my it's answer to very- Maggie is too much caffeine is when it gives you the same type of runs that Allison was talking about. Yeah, that's that's a very democratic answer. And also now that Julie's still invited to Thanksgiving because we added Maggie back on. Um, I, I don't, don't quote me on this, but I think they recommend less than 300 micrograms a day. Micrograms, milligrams, nanograms, milligrams, milligrams. 300 milligrams. I think it's Google less than grams? 300 milligrams a day. And I, and a cup of coffee. Instagrams. You're fra- talking about Instagrams. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Yeah, I would say too much is what gives you, if it gives you side effects. If it gives you jittery or makes your blood pressure go up or makes you not feel good, then don't do that. But the visual is very cute, Maggie. All right, I'm literally, this is the last one now. Okay, all right, here we go. La- last one now. Last, this is my oldest sister, Becky. So now you've got, you've got the three sisters now. So I'm, I'm, I'll be good at Thanksgiving now. Here we go. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. What are some other um, pieces of advice you wish patients took more regularly, not just like getting good sleep, drinking enough water, exercise, etc. but maybe some recommendations of little known vitamins or something like intermittent fasting actually really beneficial for you. What are some other unknown tips you might want your patients to know about? That's the whole podcast. That's it. Yeah. Becky, just ask for say, your doctor friends. I would say come here every Tuesday. <laughs> We're going to release an episode. And then I, the next thing I would say is send us what you want to hear. Mm-hmm. So send us messages uh, either on the social or through the email address or the doc line. And those will all be in the show notes or join our Facebook group. Yeah. And maybe that's the best thing that we could have that people do. That would be great because is... then you guys can all tell us in real time. And it's going to be friends of your doctor friends on Facebook. We're all excited about that and building that community. And, um, and Jeremy and I will be there and moderate and kind of poke you guys here and there and answer things if you call us out. But for the most part, it's it'll be great. It'll be a community for people that want to, you know, talk, among, talk amongst themselves. And then, yeah, real quick, the doc line is 312-380-5005. In my research of Facebook groups when we made our Facebook group, what I found in all the health stuff is that there just really is not a safe space for people to be talking about health topics and ask, asking questions and getting good advice that Again, the focus won't be is give me your medical problem and have a doctor give you an answer. This is not a tele it's not a telemedicine visit. No. But every question that was answered here would lead to some interesting discussion back and forth. And people can kind of answer their questions and kind of be like, oh, yeah, I've had that problem. What have you guys done for it? Kind of the same way that like you've ever been in like mom's groups or whatever, like when you're ever talking about kid stuff like what did you guys do when the kid couldn't sleep and and things like that same concept right and so we can make it very very social it's going to be a lot of fun it's kind of newer in the sense of i just don't think there's many things out there and i I think that the call to action i'd give to everybody listening right now is check out our facebook group it'll be in the show notes below Mm -hmm. go in ask to join answer the questions 
get in there right now. <laughs> can't, literally can't wait to have you. I think it's going to be awesome. The other, the other part of that, and then we'll stop, is that I think it is extremely important these days to have open lines of communication back and forth between the people that have the platform and the people that are listening. Because obviously, like Jeremy and I are talking to each other into microphones right now. We're talking to you, beloved listener. But also, like, if no one calls us out on our shit, we don't learn. And I think it's Jeremy and I want to teach by example that you can be wrong and you can own up to your mistakes. And maybe there was information that we were not aware of and we should be aware of. And you can call us in. Call us in about like, hey, remember when you said bleep blop and that's crap and here's why it's crap. And maybe you should, you know, clarify that to your listeners and like own up to your to your mistake. Like how cool and refreshing is it when you see somebody actually say like, you know what? I said this thing. This person called me in about it and they gave me reasons why that probably wasn't the greatest thing to say. And you know what? I take it back. And here's what I really meant to say. And that's not being canceled. That's just having accountability for what you're saying. And it's great. And I think we can just model that to everybody and show like, it's not bad. It's not scary. It's great. This is how we communicate. This is how we learn. We're doing it all together as one big, happily, happy family with your doctor friends. So part of the, the reason that we want to have ways of a forum of people to talk about, talk amongst themselves is to let us know when we're wrong. Or if you think that we're wrong, like we're cool with that, man. I, I love feedback. I'm thirsty for it. So yeah, pause the episode right now. I promise we'll be here when you get back. Yes. We also have no idea how we want to close this episode, so give us a second to think about it. <laughs> Go join the Facebook group. Come back and push play. Yes. And we're going to finish it, figure out how to close the episode. How do we want to close the episode? <laughs> I think we just wanted to tell them that before we were asking, hey, Jeremy, what the hell? Yeah. And now, really, we want you to do the asking. We want you to do the questioning. You should be questioning stuff that, that is brought in front of your face. So, like, let's do that together. So we're not asking. You're asking now. Ask your doctor friends. First episode of Doctor Friends. <laughs> see, you see you next time, everybody. That's a wrap, man. Woo! Love you. Love you guys. The amazing music is credited to SkillCell with Pixabay licensure. What the Health podcast is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast should not be taken as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Please consult a medical professional for any medical issues that you may be having. The contents of this podcast are the opinions of the hosts only and do not reflect the opinions of their employers or affiliations. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Under no circumstances shall Dr. Julie Bruni or Dr. Jeremy Allen or any guest to the podcast be responsible for damages arising from use of the podcast.